Well, hello and welcome to the Informed Traveler podcast, part of the Informed Traveler radio show, which is heard each week on Chorus Radio. It's a travel podcast where our goal is to help you become a more informed traveler. And I'm your host, Randy Sharman. Camping season is upon us. So in about six or seven minutes time, we're going to get some RV tips from the folks at Go RV in Canada. Plus, later in the podcast, travel writer Alona Karemski will join us again. If you recall, she was with us a couple of months ago talking about the Isle of Skye in Scotland. This time round, she's going to shed some light on the Orkney Islands in Scotland, and in particular, the Ring of Brodgar, a world heritage site that dates back thousands of years. So it's a fascinating story. And how do you feel about taxis and taxi drivers? Well, there's a new book out called Driven, The Secret Lives of Taxi Drivers. The author is travel writer Marcello DiCinzio. And Marcello joins us now to start our podcast out to talk about his new book. Hi, Marcello. Hello. Uh, Tell me about your relationship with taxi drivers in general and why you decided to write a book about them. Oh, it's funny. Uh, You know, I'm a travel writer for the most part. You know, all of my previous four books have been about my travels, you know, uh, my faraway travels. And so I have, I think a lot of people who, who, a lot of travel writers, especially people who travel in places like, uh, you know, the Middle East and Africa and South Asia, like I have, we have like a a, a, a kind of animosity towards taxi drivers. (laughs) Places where they're, places where the meters don't work. You know, the, you know, you're always battling for the fair. There's always a negotiation. You always feel like you're getting scammed. So I have this kind of, you know, this post-taxi stress disorder uh, when, I, when I come back. Even even in when I'm home, you know, I have this kind of a lingering distrust, which is based, you know, obviously based on nothing. Um, so yeah, so I don't I don't love taking taxis. Uh, however, you know, I realized I think recently that you know what what a what a strange place a taxi is. You know, there's, there's, I can't think of another place where two strangers are so close physically together uh, for so long and exchange so little, right? Uh, <laughs> uh, we, we get into the back of a cab, we, we maybe we blurt out our destination, maybe we, you know, we exchange some pleasantries, but then we pretty much kind of get to, we look at our phones for the, for the duration of the journey. <laughs> and uh, I, you know, I spent, I spent all, this, the, all these years traveling around the world to find stories. And I realized, you know, there's stories right in front of me. There's stories right in, in, in the driver's seat uh, of these people who I only know from the reflection of their eyes in the rearview mirror, right? And so I started, I decided to spend a year meeting with drivers and, 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 and getting to know their histories, getting to know their, their backstories. Well, you're correct. I'm glad you said that you had an animosity towards ca- uh, taxi drivers because I can relate. I had this love-hate sure. relationship with taxi drivers. Uh, I've had some great ones in the past, and I had some really, really bad ones <laughs> in the past as well. Uh, do you think we're kind of spoiled in North America, though? Because you, when, you, you, when you talk about going to foreign countries, and, and most of my experience has been in the Caribbean and in uh, South America and Central America and those areas, where it's right. just a, it's a, just a different way of using a taxi. Yeah, I mean, I think we're I think we're spoiled because there's meters. Yes, <laughs> you know, it, 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 the, the pure fact that when, when we're done our when we're done our cab ride here in North America, uh, there's not a, a negotiation or an argument or, uh, for the fare, right? I mean, yeah, there's other there's, there's other there's other reasons we've we've had we've had squabbles with our cabbies in, in this part of the world for sure, but at least. The numbers on the machine, and 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 we don't we don't have to battle uh, uh, at the, at the end of every ride. 
And there's also a disadvantage too, I think, with uh, the passenger, especially in a place you've never been before. You're kind of at the mercy of the taxi driver, yeah. are you not? That's exactly right. Yeah, absolutely. So give me some examples of some of the people that you write about. Wow. You know, you know, I, when I first started the, the project, I, I, was a, I was worried a little bit that I was going to get the same kind of story over, over and over again. And that is the kind of the cliche of the, you know, the doctor or the engineer or the pharmacist uh, driving a cab, right? Like mm-hmm. someone who's, whose professional credentials from elsewhere are not recognized in Canada. So, so he, and it's almost, we always imagine that he is, is driving a taxi instead. But I got far, I didn't get very many of those stories at all. In fact, I got far more interesting, far more nuanced and layered stories instead. You know, I spoke to, for example, uh, I spoke to a, a cab driver in Halifax, uh, Michael, who is from Sierra Leone and lost his leg in, in, during the Sierra Leonean Civil War. Wow. You know, spent, some time, spent some time in an amputee refugee camp, uh, helped start an amputee soccer team, uh, and competed around the world before eventually kind of moving him and his family to Halifax. You know, also in Halifax, I met a, uh, an Iraqi, an Iraqi wrestler soldier named Mo, who fought two wars for Saddam Hussein before deciding he wanted to be an artist and moving and then moving moving to Canada to, to, to you know to, to start an art career, which which never quite uh, uh, took off. And uh, Mo is one of the most interesting people I've ever met in my life, much less for this for this book. Like the, the layers of, uh, of of his experience. I met a Holocaust survivor driving cab. Wow. Uh, who drove cab in, in, in Toronto? Um, I met a guy who who escaped with his family from Czechoslovakia. You know, escaped from behind the Iron Curtain in the eighties. Uh, uh, and uh, his name is Alex. And he, Alex decided when he came, when he got to Edmonton that his ticket to success, like his get rich slow scheme, was to train his daughter to be a tennis champion. Uh, and he's, you know, his story is remarkable, too. Yeah, every, everyone I spoke to just has these layers and layers of experience um, that are far more interesting than, than what they do behind the wheel. You know what I mean? That yeah. I was far more interested in the drivers than the driving. Did you tell them that you're writing a book and, and were you upfront about it, or did you just start a conversation with them? No, no, they, I was upfront about it. In fact, I didn't do any of my... None of my conversations happened in the cab. Okay. I was, you know, I, I wanted to you know, be someplace where they were comfortable, which was usually at Tim Hortons. Um, <laughs> and also, also, I didn't want it to be a client-driver relationship. Yeah. Right? I wanted to have a conversation of a, kind of two two regular people. I met them in their homes. I met them in Tim Hortons, like I said, and uh, we had these long, sprawling conversations that we could not have had, you know, from the back. Seat, yeah, right? for sure. Do you have a different view of taxi drivers now? I do. I, I, I do. I, I think I have a different view of, of, of like people in general, right? Like, I yeah. What, what got me is that it doesn't matter if we're talking about cab drivers or, or Tim Hortons employee or whoever, whoever we, we run into on a daily basis, which is happening less now, obviously, during the pandemic. But this year amongst the cabbies really uh, crystallized for me the fact that we are surrounded by amazing stories. All of us are all the time. Like every, every, every person we encounter has some sort of epic history. The book is called Driven, The Secret Lives of Taxi Drivers. I guess they're not so much secret anymore after you read the book. <laughs> Marcello DeCincio is the author of the book. Where can we find it, Marcello? Everywhere you find books. <laughs> Easy enough. Uh, appreciate your time, uh, Marcello. Thank you so much. Thank you.
Well, camping season is upon us, and it looks like it's going to be another busy season for the RV industry. So we're going to get some RV tips from Go RV in Canada. Joining us now to do that is Chris Mahoney. He is the president of Go RV in Canada. Their website is GoRVing.ca. Hello, Chris. Hello, Randy. Uh, last year, I think we saw a huge increase in RVing uh, due to the pandemic. Uh, can we expect a similar summer this year? Yeah, I think so. I think all signs are pointing to a continued surge. Um, you know, domestic domestic travel is obviously going to remain popular. Uh, just from our sort of own uh, calculations, we're seeing basically a, a spike in traffic to our site. Our planners up, I think, like 40% already. So people are obviously engaging in planning trips. And then uh, we have a find a dealer tool, which is showing a 210% increase uh, since January. So we're, uh, we know people are out there and they're searching and they're planning trips and looking for RV dealers. So it, it seems like it's going to be a popular one. Well, it's pretty easy to, uh, you know, socially distance outdoors in an RV, usually with your own family or group of cohorts. Uh, so that kind of thing. So that that's, works to your advantage, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, this is it. It really has played well into the whole RVing lifestyle, to be honest. And I think it's uh, it's gotten a lot of folks to really take a look at exploring their own backyard, which, uh, you know, is, is uh, really important. And uh, obviously still being able to uh, follow up guidelines and things like that, but be outdoors with your family and, uh, you know, self-contained unit, et cetera. So it's, uh, you know, it is really the ideal way and Frankly, we all need to recreate right now, especially right now. So I think uh, that's why we're seeing that surge. And there's nothing better for your mental health than being in the great outdoors. Uh, For first-timers, though, what should they be looking at as far as RVing? So, I mean, I think, you know, depending on rental or purchase, but it sort of applies to both. I would say that planning well in advance right now um, because of the popularity. You know, we are seeing campgrounds booking up pretty quickly. Um, You know, RV availability. Um, is obviously going to be a, a bit more challenging right now. Not impossible, but certainly for whether it's rental or or purchasing, I know that they're a little behind on orders, and obviously uh, rentals will be uh, will be pretty stacked up. But if you plan well in advance and get, you can get your dates sorted, so that would be number one. Uh, I would this stage probably explore a little closer to home right now. I think uh, you know just with everything going on, it's probably especially if it's your first time, uh, smaller drive perhaps. You know, don't embark on that big cross-country trip right now. <laughs> I think uh, maybe look to do destinations in your own province first. Um, you know, I think uh, there's there's other basic things like when you're picking a campsite, for example, um, try and reserve a pull-through site. So what a lot of people don't think about is, you know, sort of bringing rig in for the first time and coming into a campground. If you're not, if you don't know the sort of lay of the land, if you get a pull-through site, then that's going to make your life a lot easier in terms of, navigating through through campgrounds and things like that. So there's there's tips like that. We have a lot of stuff on our website for first-time RVers, but there's uh there's a lot of info for uh yeah, for 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 the newbies. Yeah, that's a good uh resource is the Go RVing website, goRVing.ca. Uh and and going hand in hand with making shorter trips, uh I guess the well the price of gas I've noticed here anyways is going up. I don't think that's going to change <laughs> over the summer, so that probably helps too if you're making shorter trips, trips, right? Yeah, unfortunately it doesn't look as though it is going to change. <laughs> um and so, yeah, that, that certainly plays into it. I mean, RVs are becoming more efficient. Obviously, tow vehicles 
are as well. So that does, I think that sort of offsets a lot. Uh, look, I mean, the reality is that, yes, gas prices have increased, um, and we've seen that, you know, since the pandemic. But, you know, we, we still show that an RV vacation is 35, 30, excuse me, 37% less expensive than driving, staying in a hotel, um, and certainly a lot less expensive. I and mean, we're not really able to fly right now, but it's over 60% less expensive than flying and, and doing the hotel thing. In terms of a family vacation or leisure time, RVing is still right in that affordability bracket, I would say. Uh, now, you mentioned towing. Uh, what's the benefits of towing an RV uh, versus self-contained? Obviously, once you've uh, dropped your RV wherever you're or parked it, you have an extra vehicle to, to, to go around with. But uh, what are some of the, the benefits of the, of, or the differences between the two? Yeah, you're a really good question. I mean, I think that, you know, when we're going back to the, the, the tips for, for first-timers, this is really the first one that most people are faced with, especially when they're purchasing. So should I buy a towable or a motorized RV? I mean, if you already own uh, a capable pickup truck or an SUV, you may want to consider a towable because you sort of have half the battle there um, and that might suit your lifestyle a little, be- a little better. Uh, towables tend to be more affordable um, because they come with a motorized components. With that said, uh, you know, if, if you don't have one of those vehicles or if you're going to be spending more time uh, on the road, I think that motorized makes a lot of sense for, for people, um, especially for empty nesters that are, that are traveling those additional distances, perhaps when we used to be able to go down to the U.S., but certainly across country and things like that. So, um, you know, one is obviously self-contained in a, in, in a larger format and then is uh, you in the family vehicle towing your unit along. Uh, I've been to some of these RV shows. Uh, camping isn't what it used to be compared to, you know, 40, 50 years ago. The technology certainly has changed over the years, hasn't it? Oh, my gosh. It's uh, it's incredible, and it just seems to be... I, I've, I've been, you know, with GoRVing for over 10 years, and it just seems to be accelerating incredibly fast. So... It's hard to even keep up with what they're doing right now. Uh, have campgrounds had to uh, keep up as well? I'm thinking of terms of Wi-Fi and offering uh, different types of technologies to match the vehicles. Yeah, I think uh, a lot of the campgrounds have upgraded their services. Uh, you know, the infrastructure has increased. Um, you know, you still have that authentic feel in most campgrounds in Canada, which is fantastic. We, we don't want to take away from that. And, you know, part of... Part of people getting away is to escape technology, but yeah, I mean, I think you'll find that the majority of campgrounds now, uh, you know, offer Wi-Fi and a lot of other services like that. Um, and then, you know, RVs themselves are just, uh, you know, it's, it's incredible some of the stuff that's happening now. Um, you know, unfortunately, we had all the virtual shows this year, not not in person, but from what we could see, I mean, you know, there's LED awnings now that have become standard with wind sensors that tuck themselves away when it gets too <laughs> gusty. I mean, really, some crazy automation that's happening um, through the control systems, different apps, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, there's, uh, they're, they're really taking leaps and bounds. Uh, anything I've missed you might want to add? No, I think... Uh, Hopefully everyone can get out there and, uh, you know, by all means, go to GoRVing.ca. If you, uh, we have a really neat uh, trip planner right now and also uh, trip guides. So 
if people are looking for uh, a bit of uh, a bit of an idea of what to do and where to go, by all means, uh, check us out. That is a great place to start. GoRVing.ca, and Chris Mahoney is the president of GoRVing Canada. Uh, appreciate your time, Chris. Always fun to chat. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. So, have you ever heard of the Orkney Islands off the coast of Scotland? To be honest, I've never heard of them until travel writer Alona Karemski told me all about it. She's been there, of course. In fact, she produced a video for My Compass TV, which you can find on YouTube, called The Ring of Brodger. So joining us now to tell us the story of Orkney is travel writer and My Compass TV producer Alona Karemski. Hi, Alona. Hello, Randy. I'm very excited to learn about Orkney Islands because uh, up until a few days ago, I've never heard of Orkney Islands. Uh, But people can watch the video on My Compass TV on YouTube. It's called Ring of Broadger. Broad, did I pronounce that right? You you did, Broadger. Broadger, yeah. And it's all about Orkney Islands. So explain a little bit where Orkney Islands are first. Oh, sure. So uh, before I set out the the setting, you have to get your uh, wellies on and grab the Gore-Tex because we are heading into fleece jacket country (laughs) where no umbrella will do you any good. So uh, the location is uh, very simple. All you have to do is get on a plane over in Glasgow and take a one-hour flight northeast, and it's called the Northern Isles, and this is an archipelago, actually, of 70 islands, and 20 of them are inhabited, and the one that uh, was key that really stuck with me is the island called Mainland Orkney, and that's where I hung out, and it is absolutely spectacular. Uh, I still feel like I have to go back. There's just too many things to explore on an island that is smaller than the Isle of Skye, believe it or not. (laughs) Well, last time we uh, chatted, we talked about the Isle of Skye. So this is something totally different, isn't it? It's completely different. It's the opposite on the radar. So no wonder you didn't know about it. It's so small, uh, but uh, it was a hub in its heyday, which was back in the Neolithic times. So I'll touch upon that uh, a little later on. But I just wanted to share with you, Randy, that um, Orkney up to up until recently has been off the radar because it's a, a smaller settlement community and they really have more of an agricultural uh, push because the, all they really do have is farming and fishing. But now that um, Neolithic discoveries are becoming more prominent, um, tourism is huge over there. Seventy percent of their economy now is is comprised of tourism. Tourism. So it's, it's very important, and uh, it's just, uh, I don't know, I can't, uh, I can't tell you how important it is for us to go now because there's um, too many things that we have to ke- continue to look at uh, that's authentic, that's remote, and uh, you will definitely feel like you're at the edge of the earth when you go there. Well, they must be really hurting with the pandemic if 70% of their economy is, is tourism-driven. Yeah, yeah, they are having, um, they are starting to reopen. I've noticed recently they're having some of their inns. Uh, everybody has to, of course, uh, com- 
comply by the uh, Scottish uh, safe and health and safety guidelines. But uh, overall, there is a promising summer coming up. Uh, but for Canadians, I can just tell us that we can still anticipate uh, a return. Not sure if we can do it this summer. But uh, as far as Canadians go, there's even amazing Canadian connections. Did you know Orkney was connected to the Hudson Bay Company? I did not. I knew nothing about Orkney, so I did not know I that. I know. <laughs> Hudson Bay Company is like Canada's oldest and first company, and it had a very strong Orcadian component because... All of the explorers and workers that uh, were part of the Hudson Bay Company came from Orcadia, which is the Orkney Islands. And they came from a town called Stromness. That was the last village. And the fleet would uh, restock and basically refuel and gather all of their supplies to take over to um, what is now Canada. And they would um, do their, their big work there. But the other thing is, when um, the Hudson Bay Company was around in its infancy, they invited um, Orcadian men to um, take on First Nations uh, women and to marry them. So there is a real interesting cross-connection with the First Nations Indigenous uh, communities. Hmm. In fact, they're even now still to this day returned to a homecoming in um, the Orkney Islands uh, because there is an, a strong ancestry and a strong connection between Orkney Islands and the uh, uh, mainland uh, with the Cree and uh, other First Nations tribes so it's uh it's kind of fun for that yeah but you know what you know what the other fun part was was learning about do you remember when we were trying to find um the equivalent of the titanic which yeah. was the erebus and the terror john franklin's uh a fated expedition voyage yeah. that met its demise in the northwest passage well there was a, a doctor named John Ray who was summoned to go find the ill-fated Franklin expedition. And, uh, yeah, he found that and more. He, uh, he actually channeled an area where we call the Ray Strait today. And uh, he helped complete the final part of the Northwest Passage. And John Ray was from uh, the Orkney Islands. And John Ray um, just became so involved and connected with the First Nations uh, tribes that he actually started to take on many of their uh, customs. And because of his knowledge and interest in the customs, uh, they say that it was because of it that they were able to survive the long, hard Arctic winters that were there. Wow. So um, we, we, we don't know too much about this, but the crazy thing was... I'm standing in their main town, the capital called Kirkwall, and I'm in their St. Magnus Cathedral, which was going back to like 12th century and tacked. And uh, I'm looking at this crypt, and there's this man that's lounging on, you know, made of uh, marble, and he has uh, an outfit that looks very much like an Inuit outfit. And I'm looking at this. And one person says, do you know what you're looking at? And I said, what is this? Well, it's the crypt of John Ray. Did you know he is there? And he wa and they have his crypt looking like uh, an Inuit. It was just phenomenal. So, I, again, the Canadian connection uh, was was really uh, a, a stark 
fun discovery for me there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. So, so, so tell me about like your video is the Ring of Brog- Brodger. Yeah. So tell yeah. me what the Ring of Brodger is. Absolutely. So um, in Orkney, the the area is described as the heart of Neolithic Orkney, and it's on the World Heritage Site. And there's only four sites on mainland Orkney, which is huge because it's such a small island. And the Ring of Brodger is one of the sites. And this site is, um, if you know of Stonehenge, uh, this is older than Stonehenge. If you know the pyramids of Egypt, this is older than that. So it's actually the oldest Neolithic civilization in um, Western Europe. Europe. And this ring is is so stark. I mean, you can't miss it uh, because the flat land in Orkney is so prominent. There's not one tree basically in that island. It's just so um, driven with um, very harsh weather, very strong winds. And this ring has stood the test of time. So it's uh, something that is more like um, a burial area. And the uh, other note is that place is surrounded by other Neolithic sites. Um, There's an area called the Stones of Stenness, and it's uh, very close by. And you can hug the stones. It's unlike Stonehenge, which (laughs) is fenced in. This is open to the public. So you're standing in uh, this remote surrounding, looking at locks beside you, and you have these huge stones that are like twice the height of myself. And it's it's just wild to be able to be in this spirited place. So the Stones of Stenness is referred to as the land of the living, and the Ring of Brodger is the realm of the dead. So uh, this is the um, the equivalent. And in between, you have the the place that is called the Ness of Brodger, and that is the newest discovery uh, that is happening. And it's considered to be larger than uh, any other village, a site uh, ever found, and it has these walls that are six meters wide. Can you... Oh, my gosh. This was done 5,000 years ago. So the thought of these people who were very resourceful, have had no uh, real trees to work with, so they used stone, and even their rooftops were made from slate. So they were really um, very good at creating things, and they were also good at creating art. So the other wonderful uh, discovery was to locate some of the art pieces, which is quite dynamic. They used colors like red and yellow and it's just incredible. Mm-hmm. So people have to go there. And then also listeners have to go check out a place called the Scarabre. It's the only village that is um, intact. And you can visit by um, just taking a, a walk through this um, settlement. And it's basically mounds of grass. And inside, you have these ha- homes. And the homes have actual furniture that are 5,000 years old. Wow. Right? I know. <laughs> I know. So, I, I mean, I thought this, this is just insane to, to be able to walk around these areas. And, and the spiritual part of it, it, because there are no trees, it's a flat island. And you literally can see from where you're standing to the edge of the earth. And you do feel like you're going to fall at times because the winds do pick up. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, in in fact, even for landmarks, uh, I think uh, listeners would love to see some of their uh, huge 
stone uh, landmarks because no uh, like if you're into um, the the um, uh, Game of Thrones or any of the Outlanders, the, this is the place because yeah. uh, the, the stones are insane. We only they have like uh, a few seconds. Can you take tours there or is this kind of thing you kind of do on your own? Or You, you <laughs> should go on your own. We have uh, limited time, but yeah, take self-drives. That's the best way. Uh, if you do organize tours, cruises do have that once they uh, start and yeah, take motor coach tours that you can organize before you visit. So that's that's pretty much it. Yeah. Fascinating. Now I know more uh, more about it. I want to go. Oh, good. <laughs> yeah, and the living history. Everybody no there can kidding. talk for hours. So yeah, it's it's fabulous. There's a, a an amazing artist who works with uh, very interesting jewelry designs that she looks at uh, that inspired her by the um, Neolithic times. So her name is Sheila Fleet. I'm putting a shout out to her because. <laughs> Her and her husband showed me around and my husband around, and it was just the best visit ever. I, I felt the warmth of their, their generous spirit. So, yeah. You can uh, catch a visual of it with My Compass TV on YouTube, uh, the Ring of Broad... Bro- See, if I look at the word, I mispronounce it, but if I just say Broadger... Without looking yeah. at it, <laughs> fine. So it's the Ring of Brodger, uh, Orkney Islands in Scotland, and Alona Karemski is a travel writer and uh, My Compass TV producer. It's always fun to chat, Alona. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you so much. It was great to hear your voice. Thanks again. And that is this week's Informed Traveler podcast. Remember, this is the podcast version of the Informed Traveler radio show heard each week on Chorus Radio. You can find more information on the show at our website at theinformedtraveler.ca. So thanks for listening. If you like what you hear, let us know. Leave us a review. Tell a friend. And if you want to drop me a line, my email is randy at theinformedtraveler.ca. You can also like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash informedtraveler. Or you can follow me on Twitter at informedtraveler.com.